0: Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the transactional underwriting Council practice at Seiforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets
1: Hello, everyone. This is Brian O'Keefe, and welcome to Into the Breach, uh, the Reps and Warranties Policy Podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, Jenna Usenheimer. How are you doing, Jenna?
2: I'm doing pretty well, Brian. It's Monday. It's a nice day still here in New York City, so I'm hanging in. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, and it is Monday, and we're getting closer and closer to Halloween. Uh, It's almost, almost here, and no, Jenna, have you been watching any scary movies, any horror flicks with the uh, 31st of October almost upon us here?
2: Well, actually, um, this weekend, I binged practically the whole weekend on Netflix, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and I thought it was going to be scary, and in the beginning, it was a little weird, but by the end, I was, like, ugly crying, like, bawling. It was turned out it was more of, like, a love story with a... Ghost Twist. Anyway, I highly recommend it. I was definitely a weepy puddle of uh, emotion coming out of my eyes for sure.
1: <laughs> wow, that sounds like pretty serious.
2: And what about you? Have you been watching uh Halloween movies to get you in the spirit?
1: So it's funny. My wife and I have very different taste on horror movies. She loves these like slasher, gory, awful movies that I don't like, and I tend to like. Uh, kind of more like psychologically disturbing movies I don't know what that says about me what that says about her I guess but um but the one I watched I've not watched I watched it over the summer but the best horror movie I think I saw this year was Midsommar and I know we've talked about it but like that is like a totally whacked out like crazy weird movie and if you're wanting a good psychological horror movie I highly recommend watching it and you will not want to go to Sweden to like see a summer festival after seeing it too so you'll t- you'll toss it off your tourist list
2: yeah yeah I think I'll probably skip that one then
1: <laughs> well uh, we won't skip our guest today though and we're very lucky to have uh, our guest with us today um, we have folks here from uh, CIC specialty which is one of the leading uh, reps and warranty, uh, insurer brokerage firms. Um, we have David Barnes, who's a senior vice president at CAC, and Michael Wayfield, who's also a senior vice president at CAC. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us.
3: Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Great. And uh, really a topic of today's show, CAC um, just last week had its uh, first uh, big uh, insurance conference. They called it CAC Live. I uh, really had a, a couple days of just really uh, jam-packed, uh, great panels, very informative information, and uh, we're here today to talk a little bit with David and Michael about the uh, about the event and how it went and uh, and how our listeners can um, also access that information. But uh, before we get into the event, we always like finding out a little bit about uh, the folks that we have on the show and what uh, really brought them to this particular industry and this career path. So maybe David and Michael, you guys wanna just talk a little bit about each of your backgrounds.
3: Sure, yeah, we have some common background in that we both practice law at King and & Spalding and both clerked for uh, circuit judges before getting an insurance. And uh, the, the litigation uh, focus of our backgrounds is somewhat unique to our space. And I'll say that I started out um, thinking I was gonna be an ERISA 401k plan litigator, uh, believe it or not. And I got put on one insurance recovery case where my team was suing a tower of insurers. That case grew and grew to make a very long story, a three year long story short. We had a great resolution for our client and it ended up taking up a ton of my time. And I said along the way, once I finish this, I'm out of insurance. This (laughs) is gonna be an insurance. Uh, But then once I finished, I was the person on the team who got put on all the insurance cases because I had that experience. Uh, And, you know, to fast forward, I had a great opportunity to join an insurance brokerage in an in-house lawyer role and then very quickly moved into a transactional insurance role and found the insurance brokerage space to be just a fascinating career move and a place where there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of opportunities to be creative, um, to bring relationships and uh, sort of an EQ element uh, of the job into Uh, Into my career, and and couldn't be happier. But it certainly wasn't where I thought I'd I'd be when I was, you know, clerking for a judge.
2: Speaking of clerking, speaking of clerking for a judge, have either of you clerked for a judge on a circuit court who is under consideration right now for the Supreme Court?
4: No. So this is sort of interesting. I I, uh, clerked for Judge Henderson on the D.C. Circuit, Mm -hmm. and so on one side of Judge Henderson's. Chambers was Merrick Garland, and on the other side of Judge Henderson's chambers was Brett Kavanaugh. Wow! Um, uh, so I wow. Of those folks very. Well. Um. Uh, yeah.
2: That's real. I mean, you could take a case to the Supreme Court now and be like, "Hey, Judge, Judge, <laughs> wink, wink, <laughs> rule in my favor, right?" Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs>
4: actually, have, that's <laughs> how. It works. Yeah, that's how it works. Right. Your way. I okay. think That's how it works.
2: I yeah. think that is, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry to interrupt. So and how did so tell us a little bit about your background?
4: Sure. So I, I was a, a litigator at Keenan's Balding and was increasingly spending more and more of our my time on sort of insurance recovery appeals um, and big insurance coverage claims and issues. And was maybe one of the few people at King and Spalding that thought insurance contracts were interesting, fascinating and insurance law was interesting, fascinating. So I'm a self-described insurance nerd. Um, and then Michael saw very clearly the opportunities there were in the, to be an expert in sort of the insurance brokerage space. Um, and so I said, I'm gonna go join Michael. So Michael and I actually uh, co you know, ran the uh, transactional liability group at McGriff before we moved to start CAC.
1: I I found both of your backgrounds interesting. And I I think we see this a lot from folks that we talk to in the industry that you usually sort of fall into this in an unusual way, and then you end up just liking it. And I think that that's certainly been the case, certainly been the case for myself and and I think Jenna as well. So uh, it's just interesting how people come from very different backgrounds and end up doing uh, the same sort of work involved in in this particular area.
4: Exactly. I mean, it was sort of nice timing, right? Because, I mean, Michael and I, I started practicing law in 2011. When did you start? 2009. 2009. Yeah, which is sort of when rep and warranty insurance started becoming a thing. So when you're an insurance person in a law firm and rep and warranty insurance was a thing, they're just looking for a warm-blooded human being to start (laughs) talking and reading and knowing uh, something about insurance uh, and rep and warranty insurance. So we got some pretty early looks at those contracts um, and sort of started understanding the opportunity there was. And one thing that
3: we that we shared is an experience on a particular case that involved a post-closing dispute over release of an escrow, over breaches of reps and warranties. And so there was no policy, but we saw, we lived uh, for many months, a very nasty uh, dispute uh, with where I think some, both sides figured out how to at least allege fraud against the other. Uh, and it, the only winners in the end were the lawyers who who charged a lot of fees by the time the parties were willing to resolve it. Um, So coming from that perspective where you have parties digging in against each other, resulting in a pretty unfavorable resolution from everybody's perspective, having an insurance policy changes the whole post-closing game. You know, breach of a rep is no longer at nearly as emotional. It no longer results in the clients having to pay, um, lawyers to take positions that are often are posturing, and you know, obviously, it was a well-fought battle. Uh, but uh, we we saw we learned the value of the insurance sort of through the inverse, uh, through the non-insured post-closing dispute. Good point.
1: Oh, that is that's that's definitely a very uh, unique way to kind of work at it and to see you know how these how these disputes used to be handled before the insurance was really prevalent, as opposed to as opposed to how they're handled now. So, well, it's great background on both of you. And perhaps you also want to explain a little bit about CAC and uh, you know just the team you have and uh, any other sort <laughs> of shameless plugs you want to give for, for your great brokerage firm here.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Always like to talk about that. Checks in the mail, Brian. Thanks. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so CAC is a new brokerage firm formed in August of last year. Um, so if you haven't heard of us, it's just because we just started. Uh, and you're going to hear about us soon enough. So, Uh, The idea here is it was a unique moment in history in which some significant consolidation in the insurance brokerage world was happening. And um, at that moment, a lot of pretty senior and experienced brokers um, or lawyer professionals like us, who had been around this game for a minute, kept thinking that consolidation in the industry was not necessarily good for clients. Um, We think that we could put forth a sort of clients first, service first, driven shop, Uh, owned by employees. um, And that's what we did. So at this moment in which there was significant consolidation um, and with the big brokerage houses, a bunch of brokers said, there's got to be a different way a client service, boutique, specialty brokerage firm that doesn't do all things, but the things that it does, it does exceptionally well. So that was the thesis and it's worked out great.
3: And I'll add that we we're now up to 100 people and maybe 10 10 plus offices. and so we've grown very fast. And our first year, even though it's a COVID year, has been really great. Uh, we started out and still are pretty top heavy with senior people from the industry. And that has been we've learned how important that is in a hard market and a hard DNO market in particular, and we can talk about the and warranty market soon. It's not quite in the hard market stage that the DNO market's in, but having those relationships and experience really matters now. Uh, because we have, you know, largely uh, almost a generation of brokers uh, who don't have that experience, who've never seen a hard market and don't know what to do when we have this dynamic. And so that's been a really fun part of the new company. The timing has worked out well in that regard, too.
2: Well, we're glad that 2020 is going well for somebody. So that's good to hear. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about the CAC Live conference? That's what we're here to talk about. So, you know, who came up with the idea? you know, how did you have to make changes for COVID other than the obvious, <laughs> you know, what, um, you know, what, tell us whatever you want people to know about your conference.
3: Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, we love doing as a, as a group and from, from our various coming from our various backgrounds to CAC um, everybody has a slightly different perspective, but we all love having an annual get together for clients and for underwriters. And we view that as adding a ton of value for our clients that they often don't get. You know, often insurance is very transactional, not in the transactional insurance term, but in the, I pay you, you give me a policy. We don't really know each other. Uh, We have, we, when I say we, I think of our team going back prior to founding CAC, have really built success in the industry on relationships, both our relationship with underwriters, but also our clients' relationships with underwriters. Mm -hmm. And this conference is a key, like, fulcrum for that, because what we do is we have uh, insurer sponsors who are our, our key trading partners and our clients' key trading partners uh, join with us in putting on this conference, coming together and really having the unfiltered uh, both social time, uh, substantive content time, uh, and a way to have conversations and build a relationship so that when you have a claim, it's in your fifth year of paying this d it's a, it, this DNO carrier, your premium. Right. They know, they've known you for that whole time. They also trust that you're going to treat them well in the long term, that they're not going to write you a check on a claim and you're going to turn around and move your business to the cheaper option by $100. Um, that sort of relationship has paid great dividends for our clients in their coverage over many years. And and frankly, on the transactional side, our colleagues have been doing this conference for 30 years. Transactional insurance is obviously newer than that. And so we are taking a similar approach, but are a little bit you know behind in the evolution just by virtue of our product being newer. But that That's the general idea of the conference. And then I guess to close out how we got to the virtual conference, we love doing that in person, obviously. It's very fun. We have nice uh, venues and uh, nice events. Uh, frankly, I was skeptical of doing it virtually, uh, but we ended up having really great engagement, tons of clients and and even prospects. So it's really for clients, but we had people who were curious about CAC
4: come and get some great content. Um, you want to have... Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was the platform um, and I encourage folks to log on and reach out to us and and get credentials and and get engaged with it because you can still go back and sort of engage with the platform now. But it was fascinating. And I was very much skeptical about how it would work. But you literally walk into the conference. You could walk from booth to booth, uh, meet with various people in those booths, see recordings in those booths. You could pick up various materials and put them in your 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 virtual briefcase. Uh, it was really—I mean, uh, Robin Melnick, uh, who's on the CAC team, did a just pulled the laboring ore on that and, and was just tremendous. Um, I, I surpassed all expectations. I've done a ton of continuing legal education seminars. <laughs> that were nowhere near as cool and interactive and as fun as this. So uh, well done to the CAC team that really pulled the laboring war. And well done to our insurance partners who gave fascinating presentations about where the state of each of their respective uh, lines of coverage are.
1: Yeah, I, I totally second the format. It, and maybe I'm showing my age a little bit, but it reminded me a bit of like SimCity, like the old video mm-hmm. game. I mean, like you you really do like walk in and there's the auditorium and you're going around and it is a very... Uh, interactive way of doing it, so uh, I think you guys definitely hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, making the graphics and technology um, about as you know as best you could given the circumstances. And um, I know you had a, a keynote speaker that we've talked about, uh, Michael Lewis, who is uh, really a personal hero of mine. I've since since Moneyball and even before that, I've just always been fascinated by his books and. Um, I, I thought he was a good keynote speaker for an insurance conference. Uh, I often think that a lot of this stuff we're doing reminds me of a lot of his books and talking about risk and, and also the element of chance and all of this. And so did, how did you guys kind of arrive at having him as being the, the keynote speaker?
3: Well, I, I'll give you, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. You know, Michael Lewis is a, is a very um, compelling speaker and author, as you, as you said, and you know, um, so part of it was we want we want to hear him talk, and we want our uh, our guests uh, and our sponsor partners to hear what he has to say because he just consistently has fascinating things to say. Uh, more specifically, though, if you go back to his original, his first books and his you know the Big Short and all all of these financial related books, it, you don't have to draw a very long line to connect those with the insurance industry mm-hmm. and the a lot of the insurer sponsors and a lot of the clients uh, had claims, uh, you know, the insurers paid claims and the clients collected claims payouts uh, in that related to the various crises he's written about, the various financial situations that he's written about in the economy over a lot of years. And it's hard to hard to sort of generalize there. But sort of overlaying his, let's look at this from a big economic sort of macro society picture. Over the we've had claims negotiations and resolutions over issues that came out of this is just a really it's a really interesting uh, filter uh, in in both directions.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I, and I thought the same thing. And I thought uh, I was also interested by his his speech. I knew his background generally, but. He went into a lot of detail in his speech. And I really encourage listeners to go in and listen to the full speech because he goes into his own personal biography a lot and how much of it was driven by luck um, in a way that I really wasn't even aware of. Uh, And I think that that also informs a lot of his writing about Chance um, just because I think he feels very fortunate that he was the beneficiary of of a lot of lucky breaks in in his own career that got him to be be where he was at as well.
4: Yeah, he, he... Sort of from a macro perspective, he's just an interesting person to talk about luck and chance and risk, right? I mean, all of his books, even stuff like The Blind Side, just have this sort of element of right place, right time, wrong place, right time, wrong circumstance. I mean, every almost everything that he has in his writing has this sort of undercurrent of why did this happen? Um, and looking at through it through that lens,
3: one thing that jumped out at me was his comment on. He writes the, um, he writes Liar's Poker years and years ago, first book. And he really writes it to say, let me pull back the curtain on wall street and show, you know, you, the people how ridiculous of a place this is. And he gets a thousand letters and they all say, I read your book. How do I get onto wall street? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and when you start from there, it really makes you think, what are we looking for in a career? And, um, in a lot of ways. I thought that was an interesting uh, sort of place to start thinking about bigger picture things.
2: And was there any big takeaway from any of the panels that you watch that you're still thinking about or you think would be really helpful for our listeners to hear, especially in the RWI space and that's our target audience?
3: Yeah, sure. So I, my panel, I'll, I'll give you a quick overview of my panel. Um, I spoke with two leading underwriters and uh, a coverage lawyer who sees all of his firm's um, uh, rep and warranty deals, both on the claim side and the placement side. And, and that was my, I'll tell you the panelists' names because they deserve credit for doing a great job. So Michael McGowan at AXA XL, uh, Rock Clark at Everest, and then Eric Jesse at Lowenstein Sandler. Uh, and what we, what we got out of bringing that group together was Eric at Lowenstein really comes at this from a claims focus. And not, uh, there, there are many fewer lawyers, both on bro- broker lawyers like David and me, but also lawyers on the um, advisory side, on the legal advisory side, who come at rep warranty insurance starting from claims. And having Eric talk with those underwriters about here are ways that claims can go bad, here's the policy language that you should look at that's more sort of insurance language as opposed to deal language that, w- that the parties typically focus on led to a really interesting discussion and I'll leave that as a teaser because we'd like for the audience to go listen to our panel and I can't summarize it here. Um, but I would say the takeaway is the, the claims market in rep and warranty insurance is maturing and there are going to be shifts that come out of that. Uh, and we have some ideas, but we don't know exactly what those are going to be, but the market's not going to look the same in five years as it does today. Um, David, you want to, uh, I sure. think you have some comments on the, that panel and others, maybe?
4: Sure. Um, at, on the record warranty side uh, it is inevitable and that there's going to be significant change. I don't know how fast that's going to be. Um, I was thinking that there was going to be significant change in who was in and out of the record warranty insurance market this year. Um, uh, but even uh, you know, even you're still getting new underwriters, new MGU's, new people moving into this space, but it's obvious just that the way claims are paid are going to have residual effects on, uh, who is still a participant in this market um, a few years from now? Who decides that this is no longer a profitable market for them um, and that they wanna they wanna devote their sort of resources to other core uh, businesses? Uh, what is the reputation of every these industries, these carriers and underwriters on Claims Pay? Um, so I think some of those questions are gonna be coming to bear. Um, and Michael and I have said for now two years. Who you write your policy with really matters, um, and that if your broker isn't sort of talking to you, the client, about who they write their policy with and why, and what their claims bearing experience is, the expectation is, um, the reputation is, and their claims control, then there's that—that's a gap of information that every client needs to consider. So that's that's if I walked away from something from Michael's sort of panel, in addition to sort of seeing where rates are and, and sort of getting a nice market check, that was the one thing I walked away from Michael's panel. And I'll piggyback on that a little bit and go one
3: step further into the rep and warranty claims weeds. We've there have been some announcements that various insurers are um, changing their appetite with respect to rep and warranty insurance. I think that that we're going to see more of that, and I think that it's going to be at least loosely correlated to clients' claims experiences, but also insurers' claims experiences as they deal with tower claims. So we hear, we've heard a lot, you know, AIG, we very much appreciate all that AIG has done with claims data. And they've really been the only player for a long time in the market to put out regular claims data. Other insurers are starting to put out that data and generally it's consistent. Yeah, I don't think we've seen something that says, actually the rest of the market is seeing something different than the AIG claims data that the market has kind of generally relied on for a while. Um, but what we're gonna have, so, so we've talked about claims a lot uh, over the years. What I don't think we've talked about as much is uh, how a, how an experience leading to a claims resolution impacts both a client's willingness to go through that again. And back to my earlier point about, you know we've seen some nasty fraud disputes where there's no insurance. We think the rep and warranty claims experiences we've been through have been very smooth, right? This, this is generally well run. But flip over to the carrier side, what's going to happen when you have a lead carrier who takes a different approach to a claim than others on the tower want that carrier to take? And are you going to have, you know, layers behind the excess towers, whether it's an MGU with an insurer behind it, or, you know, an MGU with an insurer and then a reinsurer, you, you know, you have a lot of layers that you don't see when those losses hit books and they will, we don't, we don't have any reason to think that it's not going to be profitable for the carriers. It's a good business. It's not a windfall business, but it's also not a losing business necessarily. Um, When losses come, are those layers behind the layers going to be okay with the papering of the file and uh, the process to get to, you need to write a $10 million check. I think those are the questions that we don't really have answers to yet. And I think those are really going to impact back to the first point, who's in the market and who's not in two or three years. So it's, it's nuanced and complicated, and it's a layer beyond maybe what you see in a claims report from anybody, uh, but it's something to watch as you have claims you know, with your clients
1: well i I think that's those are all really terrific insights and I think it also just shows uh, the level of intellectual firepower that that your team is really bringing to very serious issues that are uh, impacting the market and all the more reason why uh, listeners and people out there should uh, check out the panels that you did because uh, you're really addressing these very important issues or really, facing the market and and really bringing a lot of, uh, just a lot of terrific insights to this. And I think everybody just really, really appreciates that. Um, I know in addition to the claims panel, just two other shout outs. I know there were two other panels that were specific about uh, reps and warranty insurance. You had one uh, with uh, Dave DeBerry about the tax insurance piece. Dave's a friend of this show and a friend of ours, and we're happy to see that. And then also another one with about contingent risk with Robert Underhill, who, uh, Jenna and I love, um, and who's who's been uh, been terrific with us on on deals. Um, and I just really urge everybody to check those two panels out as well, because I think they also have a tremendous amount of value about two really highly specialized topics that are very important for for the reps and warranties future here.
4: Definitely, I mean, uh, you can't say enough about Dave DeBerry and Robert Underhill. Um, I mean, Dave has been around this industry for for. Longer than I've been a lawyer, and has been thinking about and working with the, uh, transactional liability uh, products forever. Uh, so his his thinking carries a ton of weight. Um, and then Robert Underhill with the backing of Berkshire uh, and some of the things they've done in the contingent risk space is just phenomenal. Um, and these are these are solving deal problems and transferring known risk, uh, and you know getting deals done that wouldn't get done. Uh, Both of those guys have a lot of deals under their belt that but for them and but for their leadership and their ingenuity wouldn't the deal wouldn't close so kudos to both those good trading partners of ours.
2: And I think that that's a perfect time to do our little fun game that we have it's called once more onto the breach. And actually you guys are so smart you already answered in your talk today one of our questions so we're going to skip that question so that we don't say you don't say the same thing twice. So um, our question for you is, what is a piece of advice that you would give someone who is interested in a career or working for a broker in the insurance space? Like, what's the best thing they could do, you know?
4: Sure. So I can can speak to that a little bit because I'm a very studied um, type A personality. Uh, So when I jumped into the insurance brokerage world from, you know, basically a partnership track attorney uh, world, I thought hard about it. My, my thinking would be everybody in their heart sort of knows what they're good at and knows what, what not only what they can do if they muscle through it, but what they actually can do when they love it and they really are just firing on all cylinders. And my, my recommendation is that the insurance world is a big net. There's a ton of opportunities in the insurance world. Be a very analytical underwriter, to be on a brokerage team where you're inventing new products like some of the things that we've done here where we invented uh, the Paycheck Protection um, uh, Act product with Dave DeBerry and his team. And like actually took the charge of inventing that product um, to writing policies and being that detail oriented -oriented person. And then there's the people that are the high level. I want to, to know the issue. I want to think through how with my client, how to solve it. But I'm a people person. I want to be an advocate for my client and I wanna be that sort of out in the field person. Those jobs exist in brokerage houses, both of them. So the one, the one recommendation I would have for everybody is don't just be a producer at a brokerage house because you think that's what you're supposed to do if you go to a brokerage house. The, the, the brokerage world is a lot, is a, is a broad net and there's a lot of different jobs within that brokerage world that, that would be great for all kinds of different personalities. Um, uh, And and remember, there's claims, like we have huge claims teams that that sort of specialize in thinking through how to advocate on our client when they have a very complex claim. So, again, big net. Think about what you're good at. Think about what you really are passionate about, what really gets you up in the morning. And then remember that that job almost certainly exists in any specialist brokerage house and find that job and, and go after
2: it. That is really good advice. Do you, Michael, do you want
4: to add or you
3: can. to Two sorry, two very brief points. Yeah. Number one, bring some perspective or angle or particular value to a brokerage as an intermediate. Uh, we, it can help so much to have experienced either the underwriting side or the client side. And by client side, I include lawyer advisors, which is kind of David and my angle on this. And the second one is recognize that this business is a very relationship-based business and understand that coming into that intermediary between underwriter and client role uh, requires a lot of emotional intelligence in both directions.
1: Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, Jenna and I both got involved in this actually doing buy side work, even though now we represent a lot of uh, underwriting counsel and carriers. So there can be different ways to to get at it. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. So so I think our last question, uh, we know the conference was virtual this year, uh, and you had uh, the great uh, graphics and illustrations to get everybody from place to place. But we wanted to know if there's any predictions, if it will actually be live, live next year. And if so, any likely locations, any thought given to the CAC Live Conference 2021 version yet?
3: My thought given to it is we've all been cooped up for too long and we should do it in Bora Bora. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: like yeah. it. I like it. And it's going
1: to this afternoon.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I will. I can't wait to travel again. So any, this is, this any is maintained,
1: if you end up sending us to Detroit, we're going to get out this, this uh, recording and say we were supposed to be in Bora Bora, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. I, I've heard those fire Festival guys are looking for something to do. <laughs> we're going to hire them to put on next year. <laughs>
2: That's a good plan. That is a good plan. Talk about growing relationships, for sure. For sure.
4: Yeah. People will want no, to get on
1: that power. It'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, th- thank you very much, guys. We, we really appreciated having you here. Congratulations on a really terrific conference. I encourage everybody uh, to, to go, onto the, go onto the website and check out check it out. And perhaps you want to give your either your contact information or where people can reach you at uh, if they want to f- learn more about the conference or just more about your services in general.
3: Sure. The easiest way I feel out of date by saying this, but is to send me an email. Uh, It's michael.wakefield at cacspecialty.com. And I'm happy to uh, help connect with some of these panels. There's a, we focused on transactional. There's a lot of good DNO focused stuff on there too. Um, So yeah, that's the easiest way.
4: And then absolutely it's david.barnes at cacspecialty.com.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. Well, we hope everybody checks out the panels and shoots you emails and, Uh, and definitely uses you in future deals. And I think that'll be a wrap for today's show. We really appreciated having uh, David and Michael with us. Uh, And until next time, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, everyone.
4: Thank you, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Seifarth Shaw, LLP, its partners or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by The Lawyer Publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.